my teacher had appeared at just the right moment. And I love the way God works that way. Don't you, Steve? You know, that if I had encountered Bob Mulholland 10 years earlier, I wouldn't have been able to take it. I wouldn't have even cared. I wouldn't have even been interested. I wouldn't have had categories to even want what he was writing about. But it was the right time in my life, and his book appeared. Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, founder of the Transforming Center, and in this season, I am glad to be back with my conversation partner, Steve Weens, Senior Pastor of Genesis in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Steve is also a Transforming Community alum, which means we've spent time laughing, growing, and transforming in the presence of Christ in community with other leaders. This season, we're walking through Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland. It's part of the Transforming Resources collection published by InterVarsity Press. As you listen to the podcast this season, we encourage you to get a copy of the book. And now more than ever, it's a great time to support a local bookstore. Or you can buy it directly from the publisher's website. IVP is offering Invitation to a Journey at a 30% discount through July 15th, 2020. Just visit them at IVPRESS.com, that's IVPRESS.com, and use the code SOUL30, S-O-U-L-30. Again, the offer expires on July 15th, 2020. We've recently upgraded all our equipment, and as you know, these things take financial resources. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we invite you to become a monthly patron of the podcast. Along with helping us continue to produce and expand our podcast, patrons also receive exclusive bonuses depending on their giving level. Just visit transformingcenter.org patron to sign up and learn more. We thank you so much for your monthly support at any level. Now, let's get to this week's episode. Ruth reunited and it feels so good. <laughs> Amen. Woo. <laughs> that We're dates in the me. I know. It does. It does. Oh, <laughs> Maybe nobody <But> will notice. <laughs> Maybe not. I'm okay dating myself. I'm old. all right. Uh, Ruth, we are together again doing this season that I'm really excited about based on Robert Mulholland's book, Invitation to a Journey. And I know you had a really personal relationship with him. And I'd love to hear about uh, your relationship with him as we just dive into the beginning of this season. Yes. Oh, thank you. Well, it's really a joy to to remember that relationship. And I still feel Bob's spirit with us all the time as we interact with his work ongoing. But um, I'm reminded of the saying that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear when I think about Bob Mulholland, because that's what happened for me with him. Um, I encountered this book, Invitation to a Journey, A Roadmap for Spiritual Formation. In my early 30s, um, I had come to the end of what my typical evangelical discipleship circles had given me. Um, I had already begun exploring some of the practices that were a part of our ancient tradition, like solitude, silence, Lexio Divina, the exam, and things like that. Um, I was really expanding my own thinking and experience into this broader Christian tradition that had somehow been missing in some of the conservative circles that I was raised in. 
um, I'd had to, you know, pass through some time of disillusionment. And so as I was exploring those things, I enrolled in seminary and wouldn't you know it, um, this course called Introduction to Spiritual Formation. I didn't even know what that was, hmm. but somehow it resonated with me. And so then I got into the course and I realized, oh my goodness, this course is about all the things that I've been exploring and experiencing. And one of the assigned texts was Invitation to a Journey. My teacher had appeared at just the right moment. And I love the way God works that way. Don't you, Steve? Oh, yeah. You know, that if I had encountered Bob Mulholland 10 years earlier, I wouldn't have been able to take it. I wouldn't have even cared. I wouldn't have even been interested. I wouldn't have had categories to even want what he was writing about. But it was the right time in my life, and his book appeared. And so that was in 1994, a year after Invitation to a Journey had just been published with InterVarsity Press. And I was absolutely riveted by the book. I was absolutely riveted because... He was a New Testament scholar and a New Testament theologian who was now unpacking spiritual formation. And that really mattered to me because I am a Bible-believing Christian. I really value the Word of God. And to see that the things that I had been actually experiencing could be grounded in a in a theological context, in a in a richly theological point of view, it meant that I could enter in with heart, soul, and mind and then my strength or my intention. Yeah. And um, I, I, I do love the world of the mind, and I think the mind matters, and I think theological discipline and rigor really matters. And so I was just like a kid in a candy shop um, mm. in this class and in this book. And so, you, you know, as time went by and we founded the Transforming Center, Invitation to a Journey became an assigned text. It's pre-reading for the Transforming Community Experience. We expect everyone to read it before the Transforming Community Experience, and then we point people back to it in all sorts of different ways throughout their 27-month experience. And then eventually, and I'll never forget it, um, eventually there was a speaking engagement, actually a couple speaking engagements, where we actually got to meet personally. And, of mm -hmm. course, when as a student you're sort of on the platform with your teacher, it is really intimidating, if yes. I might say. Yes. And I remember those moments well because I felt like such a young whippersnapper. <laughs> and there he was, this, this giant, and he's physically a giant as well. He's 6'4", at least. Um, and I remember one speaking engagement where he came walking through the airport with his cowboy hat on. He wore a cowboy hat a lot, <laughs> if you can believe that. He, and this is a very endearing story. He had two suitcases, two very large hard case suitcases and I was like wow because I'd been teased about my luggage all my life <laughs> and yes. I thought I can relate to this man he carries his big luggage well what I discovered was that he brings his own pillows which I've done that for years because it's the only way I can guarantee sleeping really well so yes. I'm telling you it's the sublime and it's the ridiculous that brought the <laughs> two of us together <laughs> so um so, you know, so I was, you know, I was in love at that point. But um, the other thing is that um, he is the same age as my dad, which was kind of a lovely thing. Um, mm. They were both born in 1936. And so when uh, Bob started teaching for us here in the Transforming Center, we had him teach an alumni retreat on the subject for the sake of others. And it was that was in um, I can't remember what year that was. And when we heard the teaching for the sake of others, which is unpublished, um, we thought that's got to be a part of the community experience regularly. And so at that point, we only had eight retreats 
in the transforming community experience, but after we heard his teaching, we thought we're going to nine retreats, people, yep. because we need this for the sake of others' teaching. And it became retreat number eight, and then we had a concluding retreat, retreat number nine. And so in the beginning, Bob taught us in person. He came every time to teach us in person. Um, and then when he was very, very ill and dying from cancer, um, he we were his last speaking engagement. Hmm. And I remember when he came, it was just a very intimate experience. His wife, Lynn, was with him, and he was in chemotherapy, and so his skin was, you know, inflamed, and he was very thin and very weak. And in between sessions, he would almost physically fall apart, yeah. but then he would rally to teach. And it was amazing to see the teaching just strengthen him and energize him and flow through him when he was teaching us. And then we would, you know, we needed to sort of care for him in between and then he would rally again and and teach and speak and at that time lynn said something really precious to me she said her children were not so sure he should come for that last speaking engagement but she said to him ruth is like a daughter and she will take care of him oh. and i thought that is the truest truth because my dad was the very same age and i knew what it was to care for someone at that age and in that stage and so it's just i don't know god just gave us a precious relationship over time and Lynn was a part of that as well and she is such a dear person and has been so supportive of Bob's work with us and his teaching with us here in the Transforming Center and was actually part of the signing of the contract so that Invitation to a Journey could become a transforming resource which and also the deeper journey and so now we've sort of been given the gift of stewarding bob's work especially invitation to a journey and the deeper journey and i take that very seriously i, I take it as a trust and so on every single level i am thrilled that we are going to use a do a whole season to work through this amazing biblical and theological content on spiritual formation and then you know then steve you and i will also have the joy of bringing it into some practical application for us all as well, which I think I think is going to be very valuable and I hope very inspiring to our spiritual journeys. Well, I agree. And I remember in my, I was a part of TC6. And I remember when Bob came and spoke, and I remember feeling that he had this very rare sense of deeply, like, orthodox theology. Yeah meets a kind of progressive justice in the world feel to it. Mm -hmm. And I remember being struck by that combination Yeah, that it usually you get one or the other, you know, in someone. Yeah. And he, and he was really a he giant in the land, you know, yeah. on the landscape of spiritual formation. Bob Mulholland is a giant yeah. um, physically, but also, you know, in terms of what he's done. Yeah with with this work. So I'm glad that you remember it because being in his presence, whether it was in person or now we have him, we give five, we offer five sessions with him in our retreat number eight and he's on video and it's as powerful. People say they feel like they have been with him yeah. after those sessions. And I think it's a miracle to be honest. I think it's just a grace from God that in our communities, people still get the sense of having been with this spiritual giant. So Ruth, my first question is a basic one, but it's big. How does Mulholland define spiritual formation? Well, I think that that's one of the most valuable things that Bob has brought to the whole conversation is his definition. Um, he defines it quite simply as a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. 
Now, people who know me well know that I've added a little bit to that definition. And I talked to Bob about this, um, made sure it was okay with him. And he said it was fine because what I've included in words is what he was assuming. Uh, Spiritual formation is the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the glory of God, because we know that a transforming person glorifies God because they're becoming what God intended for them to be, the Christ in you self, the Christ in me self. So for the glory of God, because a transforming person glorifies God just by being on the journey of transformation for the abundance of our own lives, because that's what Jesus promises. And spiritual formation is a life of liberation and freedom from the bondage to the old self. And so this is the abundant life being on the journey, on the path of spiritual transformation. And then it is for the sake of others, which is how God works. Um, Everything that God does is for the sake of our own abundance. And it's also for the goodness of the whole human community, for the human flourishing of the whole human community. So it's a beautiful definition. And um, he distinguishes it somewhat from the language of Christian discipleship, but only because that language in contemporary Christian spirituality has been used in a very limited way. He talks about the fact that much contemporary Christian spirituality tends to view the spiritual life as a static possession rather than a dynamic and ever-developing growth towards wholeness in the image of Christ. So his language and his definition around spiritual formation actually speaks to this whole idea of journey, which is why he uses the metaphor of a roadmap that we're actually talking about a journey, we're talking about a way, we're talking about a path, uh, not a static possession, something that we can control and say, I have it. He's talking about a journey that unfolds, not so much through techniques, methods, and programs where we think we're going to achieve something, but that spirituality, in his view, is seen as a journey. It's experienced as a journey uh, towards spiritual wholeness. And it's a journey of increasingly, and I love this phrase, an increasingly faithful response to the one whose purposes shapes our paths, whose grace redeems our detours. Don't you just love that, Steve? Yes. Whose grace redeems our detours? Oh, you got to love that. You, you really uh, do. There's <laughs> yes, so much you grace do. packed yes. right into that. Yes. Um, whose power liberates us from the crippling bondages of the prior journey. Mm. What do you think about that? Mm. Come on. I know. I, I have a, I have a prior journey, you know, yes. you have a prior journey and, and the Jesus power liberates us from that and whose transforming presence meets us at each turn in the road. Mm. In other words, holistic spirituality is a pilgrimage of deepening responsiveness to God's control of our life and being. Now, that is the good stuff right there. It is, and it speaks to this partnership, ongoing yeah. partnership mm-hmm. with Christ's work in our lives, which mm-hmm. is not, it, to me, it's never, God doesn't just make you do something. God invites you to do something, and then right. you say yes or no, or maybe, and then we work, and then we go from there. Um, and it's filled with grace. I love that. Yeah. And it's always moving. I, I think his distinction between something static mm-hmm. that we can kind of claim and control versus a continual unfolding, a continual moving in a direction, a continual deepening response, that is really, really, I think it's just a beautiful way of looking at the journey. And we see ourselves growing all the time in our ability to trust God on this journey. So um, there's a lot, there's a lot in his simple definition. Um, And so I think that's one of his greatest contributions. Then um, after the definition, 
which we, we will continue to come back to, then he does deal with the whole idea of personality and the integration of personality and the understanding of our personality, how our personality is transformed in the spiritual formation journey. And he does some work with Myers-Briggs that I'm really looking forward to the episode, Steve, where you and I talk about Myers-Briggs as it, as it relates to our formation. We're going to talk about it in a really different way than we usually talk about Myers-Briggs. Um, and, you know, the Enneagram is all the rage right now. But we're going to go back to the Myers-Briggs and we're going to work with it the way that Mulholland works with it in this book, and, and it's, it's very powerful. So how do we deal with personality, and how does God transform us at the level of personality? Um, and he, he guides us towards a holistic spirituality rather than a one-size-fits-all kind of um, spirituality that, um, that each of us will have our own individual journey. Yeah. Um, and, and that it's, your journey is not going to look exactly the same as mine. And the unfolding of my transformation is not going to look exactly the same as yours does. There's a certain personal nature to it as as God works with us within our personalities. I just can't wait for that part. And then um, we are going to talk about the spiritual disciplines and um, the, the, the deep biblical foundations for the use of spiritual disciplines as means of grace. And I will say that that's one of the things I love too about Mulholland's work. He's Methodist, he's Wesleyan. And so a lot of times people will say to me, you sound Methodist, you sound Wesleyan. <laughs> and I'll say, well, that's because my teacher was. Yes. And he saw the spiritual practices clearly as means of grace. And I do too. I think the spiritual practices are means of opening to God's grace. So the way he talks about the spiritual disciplines and positions them, um, as part of what opens us to the journey is really winsome and beautiful. And then finally, we'll get pretty practical with um, corporate spirituality. In other words, the body of Christ. How does the body of Christ, how does being a part of the community of faith contribute to our journeys? And then what does it mean for our life in the world, social spirituality? Um, so his spiritual insight and his theological insight is deeply profound and I think brings together some of the false dichotomies that we often let ourselves fall into between being and doing and um, our spirituality and our action in the world. And so I'm really excited to get to that part too. And and actually it's it's that social spirituality, that for the sake of others, that it's a relatively short chapter at the end. And I think it's it's out of that that he began his teachings on for the sake of others. And it was unpublished. And I believe that if he had lived even just a little bit longer, that would have been what he would have published next okay. because he was he was developing that content. Um, and that experience of having where you leave off in one book become what you write about the next in your next book or what you teach about next. I've had that experience in my own work, and I think that's where he was. And so I could say that I do trust God with Bob's life and when when. Bob went to be with Jesus, but at the same time, I kind of wish he'd been around a little longer <laughs> to write that work, I will say. <laughs> so, But even that, even as you say that, I think there's a grace in the fact that we will never complete our work. You know, yeah. we start our work. It's not our work necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's God's work that God invites us to do. And then there's even a grace that someone else gets to pick up where we left off. Like you get yeah. to pick up where Bob left off. And there's a there's a relinquishing control mm -hmm. about that, that I can, cause I can get really ambitious personally yeah. about making sure that I do all that I'm supposed to do. And then some, and there's a, you know, almost an Elijah kind of grace where we fall down at the broom brush and say, I'm no better than my ancestors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. Take me home, Jesus. Take me home now. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, you are clearly so passionate about this work, and I can't wait to dive in episode uh, by episode. But I am curious about about a little bit more specifically around this roadmap. And I want to ask mm-hmm. a question about the process. Yeah. Because we can say that it's not about one moment. We don't get zapped into spiritual maturity. Um, it is a process. But I think it requires a lot of self-compassion and patience to submit to the process. Right. How have you learned to do that in your own life? And I know you're not doing it perfectly, but how have you learned to submit to process, Ruth? Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the things that's really important to me on some days is to recognize how I've been shaped by culture mm. and that I live and I'm a product of a culture that's used to instant gratification yes. and that is used to things going really fast. And if they don't, then I get mad and I get angry. Um, we live in a mechanistic society. It's a fast food society where we're used to being able to get lunch in 60 seconds. I mean, where nobody, you know, you don't cook. Instead, you just want it to appear. Um, and so it goes against the grain of how, how the culture shapes us. So that's one thing I need to recognize is that in this area of my formation, the culture can't speak to this. Right. The culture doesn't know anything about this kind of a long-term submission to a process, and not only a process or a journey, but also a journey that we can't control. Right. And that's another thing that Bob brings us back to over and over again in this work is the fact that a true spiritual journey at every at every bend and every turn is going to cause us to need to face our issues with control. And I think that's profound. I think it's powerful that a truly spiritual journey is going to cause us to confront our addiction to control. So I have to give that up. I have to give up my addiction to control as well because the journey unfolds at God's initiative mm-hmm. and in God's knowledge of who I am and, and what the journey is like. And I think about the Israelites on their journey when God led them in the roundabout way and they didn't get to the they didn't get to the promised land in any sort of direct route. Well, that's what we're saying here right. is that the journey is probably going to be more roundabout. It's probably going to take longer. It's probably not going to go exactly the way we would have planned it to go, the way we think is efficient. Right. (laughs) Um, Because God's got bigger concerns than we do. His concern is for our transformation along the way. Right. And if he knows that we're not ready yet for certain things, he's not going to lead us into it. Right. He's going to take us on a roundabout way until he knows we're ready. And so um, in, in some ways that's challenging to the way we're wired and to the way the culture shapes us. But in another way, I find it strangely comforting too, Steve, don't you? Mm -hmm. To know that God won't lead us into things that we can't that we're just not prepared to face. Yes. I think about someone said this at one point, um, God leads us in the roundabout way, and we don't know necessarily what we're getting into when God invites us to certain mm-hmm. things, because if we did know, we would either run from it in fear or we'd try to control the outcome of it, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think it is a graceful thing that God is patient mm-hmm. with us. As, right. as we are impatient with ourselves. I mean, that's treme- a tremendous grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he knows us actually better than we do yes. in our own egotistical way of seeing ourselves. We might think, oh, I could, ha- oh, I could handle the giants in the land. But God says, no, you no. know what? I know you better than you know yourself, <laughs> and I know you're not ready for that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, man. I, you know, that reminds me. I did a little... I follow the lectionaries I preach, mm-hmm. and... and 
And one of the most recent ones was Peter in first Peter three, when he talks about suffering and he talks about it in such a winsome way. And I sort of in my sermon, I juxtaposed early Peter from later Peter, you know, because early Peter has no time for, Mm -hmm. (laughs) for any process, you know, he's confronting Jesus, rebuking Jesus for saying certain things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, and for not going fast and enough. For not going fast enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But later, Peter, older Peter, wiser Peter talks about what suffering teaches us. And mm-hmm. um, even within the scriptures, I like how we see both sides of Peter. And it's the same guy, but yeah. he's clearly been on a transformational journey. Right. Um, that was a process and he's formed into Christ's image. And, mm-hmm. and you could tell that, that that took some time. Yeah. One other thing that I think is compelling in his, in Mulholland's description of this process or the journey is that he acknowledges that we're all in a process of spiritual formation, whether we realize it or not. Um, He says, every thought we hold, every decision we make, every action we take, every emotion we allow to shape our behavior, every response we make to the world around us, every relationship we enter into, every reaction we have toward the things that surround us and impinge upon our lives, all these things little by little are shaping us into some kind of being. We are being shaped into either the wholeness of the image of Christ or a horribly destructive caricature of that image. Destructive not only to ourselves, but also to others as we inflict our brokenness upon them. And I just think that's a powerful thought because that's one of the reasons why we have clarified our language mm-hmm. and we talk about transformation rather than formation yes. because of that very fact that formation is happening all the time. The only question is whether it's deforming or transforming. And so we want to make sure we're on the transforming side of things. And I think that also that distinction brings a sense of urgency to say, if I'm not intentionally on the journey of transformation there's a good possibility I'm on a more destructive path. Right. That I'm actually on a deforming path if I don't get if I don't get a hold of this with God and open myself in intentional ways to a transforming journey. So um language language really matters in these things. Um and I think that statement points towards the fact that we want to be clear that it's not just a formational journey we're on. It's actually a transformational journey we're on. I think that's an important clarification, and I agree with you 100% and with Mulholland, that we are always being formed mm-hmm. in, into yes. some image. We are always. The only question yep. is, is which image. Right. So, Ruth, a minute ago you touched on control uh, and how hard it is to relinquish that. Um, let's talk about what it really means to, to be conformed or to be formed. Um, as it, as it relates to the issue of control. Oh, yes. We got to talk about that because, um, Mulholland makes a really important distinction and this is where he's just so brilliant. I mean, he's so incisive in terms of his use of words and language and theology and theological concepts because he talks about the, about, about the fact that he says, I didn't use the language of conforming ourselves to the image of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that we would actually be more comfortable with that, yeah. with that idea that that my spiritual transformation is going to be something I do for myself. He said, I didn't say that. I said, you know, the process of being conformed or being transformed into the image of Christ, which means that that something is happening in me that I'm not doing, yes. that I'm not in control of. And for him, that is one of the most important aspects of our formation is that we understand clearly that we're not doing this on ourselves. We're not doing this for ourselves, that we are actually finding ways to open, but God 
is coming in and doing that thing that we cannot do. Um, and it, it also means that I don't get to set the limits and the parameters and the pace and the direction of this journey, mm-hmm. that that's up to God. I find ways to give up control and to open. Then God sets the pace. God sets the direction. God decides what's needed next for my transformation. And I just find ways to open to it. And that we do have this problem with giving up control and getting our control structures out of the way and letting God take control. And that's that, in my mind, is probably one of the most important distinctions and nuances of a deeply biblical and theological approach to formation, is that we're finding ways to get our own selves out of the way so that we can open and let God take control of this journey. Because in the end, as he says, there's nothing we can do to transform ourselves into persons who love and serve as Jesus did, except to make ourselves available for God to do that work of transforming grace in our lives. That's so important. (laughs) And it's so interesting because there's that's so active that's not there's nothing passive about giving up control you know Mm -hmm. it's a very intentional yes right active and deliberate uh choice and sets of choices that we will continue to make over and over again um so that we are transformed into the image of christ oh that just even as you were saying that it just it it hits me how we want to either take control and think that that it's all up to us or totally give up control and there's nothing we can do and there's no you know and it's some it's some middle ground in there where yes. it's um and that's such a nuance that's so important so listen to this because this paragraph is the one that probably of all the paragraphs in the book just knocks me knocks me back he says being conformed goes totally radically against the ingrained objectification perspective of our culture graspers powerfully resist being grasped by god mm. manipulators strongly reject being shaped by god ouch controllers are inherently incapable of yielding control to god spiritual formation is the great reversal from being the subject who controls all other things to being a person who is shaped by the presence, purpose, and power of God in all things. Don't we all fit into one of those categories, if not all of them? Oh, yeah. That's why I said, um, ouch. I know. <laughs> and then I stopped saying, um, ouch. <laughs> right. Right. And so, you know, when we when people think that spiritual formation is sort of the soft mm-hmm. aspect of our Christian lives, and they sort of pit it against the more active elements of our lives, I want to say, no, no, no. Spiritual formation is the great reversal, and it requires more of us than any action we're going to take out there in the world. To submit to God on these levels is going to take more from us than anything that we think we're going to do out there in the world Mm -hmm. for others. And this is where it starts. It starts with us giving up control to, to God in our own lives. Um, as it has to do with this particular journey. And, you know, for leaders, and he he, he talks directly to leaders in, in this chapter on being conformed because he talks about the first temptation of Jesus where after Jesus is called the Beloved and commissioned for ministry, that the Spirit comes in to tempt him and tempts him, tempts Jesus right at the place of his empowerment, right at the place of his calling, Right as Jesus is being commissioned for ministry, he faces his greatest temptations, mm. as it has to do with with these kinds of things. And so his first temptation went to the heart of this issue, you know, the temptation to succumb to control, yeah. to power, yeah. to control, 
to relevancy and all of that. Um, so I think it's very it's very interesting for us as leaders because I also think that we would also prefer to help other people with their formation than to open up to God's transformation in our lives at this level. It's just easier. Oh, Let me talk yeah. to you about your transformation rather than letting God have access to me at this level. Yes. You know, um, we're in the middle, I was, as we record this, of a global pandemic. And I was talking to one of my friends and she said, even if I knew that this was going to last one whole year, just exactly the way that we're doing that, I wish I knew. Like, I, I mm-hmm. wish I knew the exact time that it would end. And it strikes me that we are truly in the wilderness. You know, Jesus was in the wilderness when he faced those temptations. And we are in the wilderness right now as well, because we don't know when it's going to end or where it's going to go. And I think it's a tremendous time right now to practice relinquishing control Mm -hmm. in a number of different ways. Um, You know, so what are some practices, what are some other practices that we can, when we're in the wilderness, we can sort of learn everything we can learn like Jesus did. Um, what are some practices to help us, uh, relinquish control? Well, Mulholland uses a phrase that I think is really instructive for us. Um, when he talks about spiritual formation as the great reversal from habitual expectation of closure, to patient open-ended yieldedness. And that speaks to what you're talking about. You want closure, even even if it's a year from mm-hmm. now, you want the closure of knowing when it's going to be over because mm-hmm. that's part of our desire to control and to have an agenda and to make sense out of things. And he talks about patient open-ended yieldedness. What do you think about that? Patient open-ended yieldedness. Yieldedness. Wow. That would be something. <laughs> well, again, it strikes me as intentional and yeah. active. I mean, there's a receptive, a receptivity and an action. It's a partnership, mm-hmm. you know, that speaks to partnership to me, to trust. Right. And you would have to have a lot of trust, a lot of trust in the goodness mm-hmm. of God. Yes. And, you know, um, when even as we say that phrase, patient, open ended yieldedness, I find that in my body, I'm opening my hands as I mm. say it, because that is a physical practice that goes along with Yieldedness. So you could actually restate this slightly and say patient, open-handed yieldedness, where I literally am opening my hands, letting go of my own controlling mechanisms, letting go of the clinging and the grasping and the controlling, and opening myself to what God gives. And of course, uh, one of the primary traditional spiritual practices that helps us to do this is the practice of silence, because silence helps us literally give up control because we're sitting in this open-handed receptiveness, receptivity, mm-hmm. at least for a few minutes every day. Um, we're practicing what it feels like in our bodies and in our hearts and in our minds to be yielded even for a few moments and to say with our bodies and with our souls and with our minds, for God alone, my soul waits mm-hmm. in silence. From him alone comes my salvation. Mm-hmm. And so I just I just feel like that is the practice associated with this silence as these moments where we are receptive rather than active. Mm-hmm. We don't have our Bibles and our journals and the book we're going to read through and, you know, the prayers we're going to write and, you know, all of that. But we actually sit with our whole selves open, wow. letting our bodies lead us through the opening of the hands, through the feet that are flat on the floor, legs uncrossed through the back that's straight and open and alert, through the breathing where we're breathing in the Spirit of God and breathing out all the controlling ways that are usually our ways. Um, And so I would offer up this phrase at the end of this episode, 
patient, open-ended yieldedness. And then I would offer up silence, open, receptive silence as the actual practice that helps us to sit in that kind of yieldedness at least a few moments every day. Mm. Mm, That's so good. Well, that is half of the roadmap. We're going to cover the other half of the roadmap in the next episode. We're going to talk about more about the image of Christ and for the sake of others. Uh, and Ruth, I'm so, um, I'm just, I'm, my excitement level is growing even, even as we're talking about my own, um, reintroduction to this great book and to these great concepts. So, uh, thank you for your passion that is, uh, in, that is engaging my passion. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Well, you know, Steve, let's, um, I think because this is such deep, rich content, I'm thinking that maybe it would be helpful for us to have a way to pray mm-hmm. at the end of each one of these episodes. And Mulholland wrote very intimate personal prayers that he included in these chapters. And so I think I'd like to end with um, some of the prayers that he wrote. And if you've ever been with him, and maybe you remember this, when he would end, a, he would conclude a, a session, a teaching session with a prayer. And it was Wow. I I don't even know how to describe what happens Mm -hmm. when he would pray these prayers with us and for us and over us at the end of this deep theological teaching. But we need a way to open to God and a way to pray into what we're discussing. And so I'm going to offer a prayer from, this is chapter two, An Invitation to a Journey. And so as we often do, I just, if you can, if you're not driving, if you can you know, get your feet flat on the floor, get your back straight, get your hands open, breathe deeply as a way of coming in touch with the Spirit of God deep within, and allow this prayer to just gather up what we've been talking about in this episode. O God of our creation and our recreation, you who are constantly at work to shape me in the wholeness of Christ, You know the hardness of the structures of my being that resist your shaping touch. You know the deep inner rigidities of my being that reject your changing grace. By your grace, soften my hardness and rigidity. Help me to become pliable in your hands. May there be a melting of my innate resistance to your transforming love. Amen. Amen. On behalf of Ruth and the entire Transforming Center staff, thank you so much for listening. We're currently accepting applications for our next Transforming Community Spiritual Formation Experience for Christian Leaders. You can learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org tc. This podcast is a ministry of the Transforming Center and is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. If you've enjoyed Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast, please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can also become a partner of the podcast and get exclusive benefits by visiting transformingcenter.org patron. Thanks so much for your support and for listening to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership.